first is this. Um, annual congregational meeting is next week. Um, if, you, if we have your email address, we've already emailed this to you, please check your email. Uh, if not, there are hard copies, or if you prefer to read a hard copy, there's hard copies in the narthex. Why am I taking a minute to mention this? We believe as brethren that we move through consensus, we move together. We move as a group where we are, um, the Holy Spirit shows up in big ways when we're constantly working towards that unity of thought that Paul calls us to, and we're working towards a common goal, the goal that, not that I've set or that you've set, but that God has set. And, and that's important for us, and that's why we gather once a year to sit down and talk about where we're headed next year. We would love for you to take the time before the meeting to please read through this and ask questions of anybody on the leadership team, and I didn't tell them I'm going to do this, but I'm going to ask them to do this. If you're on the leadership team, will you please stand up if you're here today? Three, four, five. Who's missing? Chuck. I knew he was going to be gone today. All right. But these wonderful people um, are part of the leadership team here at Gretna, and they have put, along with our ministry leads, tons of time. You can sit back down. You're safe. Tons of time and energy and prayer into building this because we believe this is where God wants us to go. I will openly tell you there are grander financial commitments here that we need to ponder as a group and we need to be prepared for um, and, to, and to know that we can confidently do it. Um, we wouldn't put it out there unless we believe God wanted us to. But it's, it's, those are questions that we would love to answer ahead of time. If you have comments, if you have concerns, if you have issues, we would love to talk to you about it. Um, because we feel that God is leading on this, and we feel like we would love to let you in on the story that he's writing for Gretna. So that's, that's my plug for the, anything else? I miss anything? Okay. All right. Now, before I speak, I got one more thing. Andrell and Caleb uh, have come today. Oh, he's not coming up? He's just going to sit there? All right. That's all right. So Andrell uh, has a, something God is leading him to, a ministry for young adults, right? That he would love to start launch and, and he wants to talk about it. And I said, go for it. All right? Thank you. Yep. Good morning, Brenda. Thank you so much for letting me talk. Thank you. I appreciate it. Also, God laid on my heart to collect. Is he on? No, he's not on. Good morning, Brenda. Thank you. They heard you say good morning. Hello. Now is he on? There we go. I think it's now on. Now he's on. There we go. Good morning. <laughs> So God has laid on my heart to collect the young adults from uh, Bell Fountain and the surrounding areas to come together for a time of worship, fellowship, community. Um, as most of you know, your young adults may be some of the hardest years of your life. You may have made some of the worst decisions, um, went out and strayed, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think that it's a kind of it's been missing among all churches is the young adult uh, community. Um, as I go from, if I talk to different churches, there's middle school groups, elementary groups, high school groups, but there's kind of that in-between stage of young adults where they're, they don't know where to go. Um, so um, myself and some of the young adults from around the area are hosting an event. Um, it's going to be at Christ Our King. It is not a Christ Our King um, hosted event. I don't want there to be walls of churches in between a chance for young adults to get together and just share their hearts, um, share their feelings. Um, so the event is on November 9th, it's a Saturday, from 3.30 to 9 o'clock, um, but it's going to be a spirit-led event, so I, that's what I have in my heart as the time, but if God wants it to go longer, shorter, that's what we're going to do. 
Um, we have some guest speakers. So Dr. John Tyus, he is a, um, a pastor, author, uh, philanthropist out of the Columbus area. He's a great speaker. I had a chance to talk with him. Um, he's doing it. And he's also going to lead worship. Um, we have uh, three different worship groups that are going to be performing that night. So it's going to be really good for young adults really to just get closer to God, connect with each other, because a lot of times you feel like you're the only one going through what you're going through, um, trying to figure out where you fit in life and all of that. So when you can connect to people that feel the same way, it makes all the difference. Um, the next speaker is Dr. Cheryl Ann Needham. She's also out of Columbus area, um, author. She works with ministers, preachers, um, on life skills, leadership skills. So she's going to be great. Um, I know she has some great ideas. The event is free. I do have a register link. That's only for food purposes, so there is going to be a meal provided in between. Um, about, I think it's 7 o'clock. Um, but you don't have to register the link to show up. I want everyone who can come to come. The age is from 17 to young adult. So I don't have a, a high-end number. Um, if you feel like you're a young adult, please come. But if your children have children, you're probably not a young adult. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, the other thing we'll be doing is Bible trivia. There'll be a Bible trivia. I have a chance to win an a, a Amazon gift card. So it's going to be a real fun night. Um, so the real, it's 17 and older, so older high schoolers, college kids. And I really want to focus on um, young adults in the workforce because that's really where the, the gap is. is there's, sometimes you'll see a college group, high school group, but that when I'm in the workforce, where do I go? Um, and this is a one-time event. If God leads to more events from this, great. If not... Great. Um, just trying to make sure I hit everything. Oh, the event. It's called City on a Hill. Um, I think that's fitting, being in Fountain, You have the highest point in um, Ohio. So I really think that Fountain can be the epicenter for young adults that are on fire for Christ. Um, so that's the name of the event. I will be around um, after service. I'm, I'm going to be over here um, lingering for a little bit. If you want more information, have questions, please feel free to come over. I brought some of our pamphlets that you can have that has the link on it and some more information. Um, but I hope that you guys come out if you're in that age. Um, invite your, your grandkids if you're not in that age. Um, but I, I really hope to see some of you guys there. Thank you. All right. All right. And if you, if you have other young adults, because there, there are several that aren't here today, um, please let them know. Please encourage them. I will encourage them too. If you're nervous about going, that's a great opportunity to take a whole bunch of people with you, right? There's safety in numbers, right? <laughs> take a bunch of people with you. Please go. Um, you know, Andrell, I, I get a lot of phone calls from people saying, I want to start this, I want to start that, I want to do this, I want to do that. That's great. But when somebody's willing to sit down and talk to you, when they want to meet with you and talk to you, that's different because you get to see their heart. And what I would tell you is his heart is totally in this. Um, God has got him doing this, and it would be remiss for our people to miss out on it. So if they have opportunity, please spread the word, please. Okay. Um, yeah, and yeah, if you, your children have children, you're probably out. That's funny. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's get rolling. We are in week two of a series called Graceful. Last week, we talked about grace missing, and we looked at some differences in the presentation of the gospel and, and the idea that this group in, in Galicia, in the book of Galatians is what we're in, but this group of Judaizers had convinced people that it wasn't just about coming to faith in Christ. It was about coming to faith in Christ and earning your way, and then you get salvation. 
And we discussed the notion that that's really not the way it works, right? You, you find your faith, your salvation in Christ, and then we do different, we act differently and work differently as a result of that. It's, an, it's a response rather than uh, a component of becoming saved. And all the three components were there, right? We looked at a little flow chart. All three components were there. They were just in a little different order. How big a difference such a subtle change can make. And we have to be sure that, that we fully understand that the power of God's grace is beyond anything that we thought humanly possible and that it can easily get lost. That we, are, we are apt to lose the gospel, the true nature of the grace of the gospel if we're not careful. This week, we're going to talk about grace redeeming. Before I do that, though, I want to say thank you. Um, last week, there was an incredible outpouring of love towards Heather and I and our family. Uh, it, is, it is us who are humbled to work here um, and humbled to be a part of this body. And so we are so appreciative that you let us minister to you and with you um, as we all travel this journey together. Now, having said that, we got a whole lot of gift cards, and I'm going to be redeeming the daylights out of those, okay? <laughs> and so we thank you for that. And it's not it's interesting. Our title is Redeeming. It might be like I planned that. Okay, so the redemption, if we talk about what redemption is, what comes to mind? Forgiveness, okay. Paying a price, okay. What else? Making something you did wrong, right. Very good. Very good. Anything else? Is that about cover it? Redemption is by definition paying a price and getting something in return for it, or the fact of the, the idea that you've made something right. And 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 I think as Christians we sometimes forget which is really hard to believe we do, but we do. We forget that if we have found salvation in Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed. The price has been paid. How much of the price has been paid? Not half? Not a third? Not just enough? All of it. I don't know how you can't get excited about that. <laughs> we, we have been redeemed in Jesus Christ in that all of our sins have been forgiven. All of our transgressions have been forgotten. All of the things that we've done wrong before have been remedied, have been paid for. Just the mere scope of that redemption should boggle our minds, should drive us to respond in kind to others. But I think, as the Galatians clearly did, that they somehow forget that they've really been redeemed. They forget it. Can that happen? Can you, go, can you be redeemed in the moment you find salvation in Jesus Christ? You know what you have. You go, oh my goodness, I've been released from all my sins and this incredible encounter experience with, with the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit is with you and you're going, oh my goodness. And then over time though, as you get further and further away from that event, the emotional impact kind of wanes off and we forget that we have been redeemed. And so you find 
you find guilt creeping back into your life for things that you've done or said maybe years ago. Maybe it's something you did that's still hanging on. And you, for a moment, you were redeemed in Christ, but a couple years later, you're still going, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done that. Right? You can make mistakes, which we all do, and, and find our, beat ourselves up over it because we've forgotten that he didn't just pay the price for the mistakes you made. He paid the price for the mistakes you're going to make. Because unless you're Jesus himself, you're probably going to mess up, right? You're probably going to make mistakes, unless you're my wife. She's perfect. Uh, that's the best thing. That's the best I got, you know? She, I'm lucky she loves cheesy. It works well. So, the point would be you're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. But let's not forget that we have been redeemed. So as we get into the book of Galatians, we're going to still be in chapter 1. We're at chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 through 24 is our source text for today. And it says this, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. His, remember what he was, his former way of life. I intensely persecuted God's church, and I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go, go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus, and then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. And I stayed with him 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith and he once tried to destroy that he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me it's a mouthful it's a mouthful so who was paul he starts off talking about his former self his former life his former success in judaism right what do we know about paul Persecuted Christians, he even says it, right? He persecuted, tried to destroy it, is what he says, right? So he was a persecutor of Christians. He was a protege of Gamaliel. If you don't know who Gamaliel is, he was one of the chief teachers of the time in the Jewish church. Very well known. And so Paul, honestly, Paul wasn't just a persecutor of the church. Paul also had a great status within the Jewish body within the synagogue. He was well-known, well-respected, well-loved for pursuing the traditions of God. So Paul was, was a powerful figure in his previous faith, right? A powerful figure in his previous faith. Acts chapter 7 gives us this picture, though, of how he treated Christians. It says, they yelled at the top of their voices, covering their ears, and they rushed against him. That's Stephen. They rushed against Stephen, the first martyr for Christ. 
They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who was Paul. That's right. Saul agreed with putting him to death. So Saul didn't try to stop it. He said, that's a good idea. Kill him. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. Was Paul a good guy when he was Saul? Would would the people, the Christians of the time... Would they have good reason to not like him? Right? I think they would. I don't know about you, but if some guy's running around beating up people and killing them, I'm probably not going to like you, especially if I think you might be targeting me, right? I'm not feeling good about that. They're not going to like him. They've got lots of reasons not to like him. What about, what about Paul, though? What about Paul who, who was Saul and who did all those things? And then he came to know the Lord. He says he's redeemed. But I think it would be really easy for Paul to be so stuck on what he did because the nature and the size of what he did could cause him to not like himself still. Right? those memories flooding back, those things that, that, that come back and haunt you, mistakes you made 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, things that you did you wish you hadn't done, things that hurt other people, things that were evil and wrong. Look, I've got that list of things in my life too, of things that I did that I really wish if I could turn back the clock I would fix, right? Anybody have those things they wish they could do differently? They would. Maybe it's something you said or something you did or something of that something that you just wish you could change. Be really easy to let that drag you down, especially somebody who'd done so many wrong things to Paul, or, or as Paul had, and now he's hanging out with those people he used to try to kill. We'd be reminded of that every day. You could easily, easily, easily forget you've been redeemed. Easily. Does anybody know who this lady is? Yeah, you know who that is? Who? She's a cop who killed her neighbor last year. Her name is Amber Geiger. And she, 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 broke, she walked into an apartment in her building, and she says she thought it was her apartment. And she saw a man come at her, and she shot him. Turns out she was in his apartment, Botham Jean. Now, this guy was a member of the tribe of Christians, the Churches of Christ, that I was part of before I came here. So this shows up on my news feeds all over the place because a lot of my friends are Church of Christ. So it shows up all over the place. This is the man who loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength who preached the Lord, who sung of the Lord, who told people of the Lord, who did everything he could to help others come to know God. That is the character of this man. And this officer shot him. This last week, she was sentenced to murder and sentenced to 10 years in prison. 
Let's watch what happened after he was sentenced, after she was sentenced. That's his brother, by the way. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Hi, everyone. George I don't care about him. All right. So, I don't, do you get, I don't think you get a better picture of what grace can be, okay? This, this man had every reason to hate her, to hate her. If you killed one of my siblings or you killed one of my children or my wife especially, I would have every reason to hate your guts. And there is a part of, 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 of me that says, you know, as I'm seeking justice, I go, you wish she doesn't go to jail? You wish she doesn't pay a penalty for that? You wish, are you kidding me? Why would you not want her to pay for that? And yet, the redeeming grace of God says, 
any penalty you were due is what? It's gone. It's gone. Do you see this picture of grace and what grace can do and the redemption that you have received? That is exactly what each and every one of us who has chosen to follow the Lord has received. We have received that kind of grace. Any transgression, any mistake, any evil thing, any hard-hearted thing, anything you've said and done, wiped clean. You get that? It doesn't get any better than that. It really doesn't. And what I, what I want you to hear and what I want you to know is that any guilt you carry of things that you've done before is gone. It should be gone. It should be history. It should be finished because I'm pretty sure Jesus says it is finished. My work here is done. It is taken care of. And my admonition to you today is to own that. To know that you are redeemed, to not let the, 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 the guilt that comes with this and this overriding heaviness that can keep you from being who God wants you to be, don't let it dictate your life anymore because you've been forgiven of it. It's gone. And the only thing holding it, holding it down or keeping it there might be you. Because in God's eyes, it's gone. But we have a tendency to hold on to those things. Why is it so hard to accept that kind of grace? Charles Spurgeon said that we, uh, we limit God and thus his redeeming grace in three principal ways. First, we, just, we dictate to him. We say, not thy will, but mine be done. Subtly, we say that redemption and grace should only look like what I think it should look like. I think you should go to jail for 10 years, and yet God says, you don't need to go to jail for 10 years. The second one is that we distrust him. We dis distrust him. Spurgeon wrote it this way, Thou hast judged the omnipotence of God to be finite. You hear that? Thou hast judged the omnipotence of God to be finite. Thou hast said that thy troubles are greater than his power, that thy woes are greater than his might. If we distrust God, we're really distrusting that when he says you are redeemed, we're really saying you're redeemed, but I'm redeemed, maybe. He's redeemed, she's redeemed, they're redeemed, but what I've done, I'm not redeemed. I can't be redeemed. I distrust that God has said it's finished. If we're distrusting our Lord, who we've agreed to trust with our lives and our eternity, we are limiting His ability to work in our lives, to experience His redeeming grace. The third one is despairing even with Him. They feel they are guilty, that they, they know, they know that Christ is able to save. They understand the duty of faith and its power to bring peace, but they persevere in the declaration that there is no mercy for them. 
They hang on to it. They hold on to it as, as though it's part of our identity. We hold on to our baggage. We carry our luggage with us. When God has said, put it down. We did this uh, activity with some teens at a youth camp once where we, we had them all pick up rocks right before we did this thing uh, where we, we spent the whole night kind of on a journey of faith together. We, do it, we did it on Saturday nights. And at the beginning of the night, we had them all pick up rocks. We said, hey, you're going to pick up this rock and you're going to carry it with you all night. So some people pick up small rocks. Most of the teenage boys go, I don't need a small rock. I can carry a big rock. So they pick up this big rock. And we have them doing all kinds of stuff, playing tag, playing hide and seek, running around the whole time. They're carrying this rock. A couple of the kids figured it out early. A couple of the kids put down their rocks. And they said, I'm listening to what, what we're teaching and what we're working on, and I don't think I'm supposed to carry this rock. But all these, the rest of these kids, and there were probably 120. So two out of 120 figured it out. The other 120 carried the rock all night long. All that so we could tell them, and we knew they would, <laughs> all that so we could tell them was, you know, you really don't need to carry that rock. Put it down. Lay it down. Don't let it burden you because God has said it is finished and it is covered. Do you have those rocks? Do you have those boulders that you carry around all day, all night, that flash back from something you did a long time ago? I've said that a thousand times today. Or maybe it's something you did yesterday. Do you allow those things to burden your soul when God has said, lay it down? He said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? Right? Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Lay down the burden of the mistakes you've made because the only person who wants you to carry it might be you. So what, what all does this tell us? Redeeming grace recognizes who you were. It says you were who you were, everything you've said and done, and says God's love is bigger bigger than anything you've said or done before. He wants, as he writes to the Galatians, people, them to understand this, right? It's not who he was, who Paul was. He's trying to tell the Galatians is not who he is now. If we look back at verses 15 through 17a, it says, but when, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son from in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go to Jerusalem to do to those who had become apostles before me. He has desired it for Paul and for you from the very beginning of your life that you would come to know him and come to find grace in him and come to find love in him and come to find redemption in him. He has desired that from the very beginning just as he's desired it for Paul. And he is pleased when you find it just as he's pleased with Paul for finding it. 
It's a new purpose for a new person is what Paul finds. He goes from being a persecutor of the people of God to a preacher of the gospel. That's an about face and a half. He becomes a completely different person with a new goal and a new job. He becomes an example for the lost. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that when we come to Christ, we become a new creation, something brand new, something redeemed, something washed clean, something that is not what we were, even though we were that for most of our lives, maybe. Maybe you were that for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Guess what? God can wash all that away. It doesn't matter how long you've been away. He will be pleased when you come back because that's what he's planned for you from the very beginning. I don't want to make light of that because sometimes it's hard. Progress is hard. Moving forward is hard. Laying down those things is hard. Being new isn't always easy. Old habits die hard, do they not? Old habits die hard. But the one I, wanna, I really want to focus in on is old expectations do too. Old expectations die hard. We work with Pastor Reggie at Transform Life Center, right? And, and if you don't know what Transform Life Center does in Dayton, their job, their goal is to bring people out when they come out of prison after having served their time and done things they shouldn't have done. When they come out of prison, his job, his desire is to teach them a trade so that they can come back into a new life rather than their old life. Because when they come back into their old life, what happens? They fall right back in. Right back in. Because everybody around them expects them to act a certain way, and so they do. Because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because it's known. They do. We have a tendency sometimes not to act as we should, but to act as people expect us to act. You know, my kids are really kind of rambunctious, high energy, right? Especially the youngest one. He's got a lot of energy. He's a get up and go kind of guy, right? Drives me nuts sometimes, but I love him with all my heart. Because as Heather says, uh, he's a clone of you, Rob. So, anyways... But it's interesting, if we send him off with some people to go play a game or go hang out together, and they bring him back and they go, he was a dream, he was perfect, he was wonderful. And we all go, what? <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? You think you're going, this person is driving me nuts, and somebody else says, well, they were amazing for me. Right? It happens. If you're a parent, you're trying not to make eye contact with your kids. That's okay. It happens. I really believe that's partially because the set of expectations is different, and so your kids live up to those expectations. I see it with your teenagers all the time. All the time. They are amazing in class. They are amazing with one another. They are amazing what they know, what they see, what they hear, and what they're capable of if we expect it of them. 
we often live down to the expectations of those around us instead of living up to the expectations that the Lord has for us. And so, one of the beauties of the things that Paul is able to do is somehow find a way to bridge that. He's somehow able to find a way to, to live and preach to, to others, to other Jews, although not so much because he was called to the Gentiles, right? So Paul, in many ways, chooses to leave behind his previous life and embrace the new. He knows he is redeemed. He knows there's a different set of expectations. And he changes his surroundings and his circumstances and surrounds himself with those people that also have those desires and expectations and love. He changes his surroundings. We could learn from that. Warren Wearsby says that sometimes Paul, talks about Paul, he says, his freedom in Christ was a threat to those who found safety in conformity. Sometimes we end up living down to expectations because people get mad at us when we act differently. And that's less a statement about where you're headed and more a statement about the fact you're not conforming to what they think you should be. Jesus has called you to be something new, better, different. And he's redeemed you so that you can be that. Don't let others' expectations pull you back down. Don't let them pull you back down because He has called you to something better. He has redeemed us. So then Paul says in verses 17b through 24, it says, instead, so instead of doing what people expected him to do, instead, he listened to God's call. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. And then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. It's interesting. He didn't go for three years. He wanted to make sure that he was in his new life, right? He lived what God was calling him to do. And I stayed with him for 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying what I write to you. Interesting, if you've been redeemed in Christ and people say to you, well, you can't change. You're still the same old guy that I used to know, that used to do all kinds of things you shouldn't do, you used to do this, you used to do that. You can't change, right? Seems like Paul is saying to them, no, I have changed. I am new. Everything about me is new. Do you imagine yourself having that conversations with people that just can't believe you're changed? They can't believe you've been redeemed. They can't believe you've been delivered. Come on now. Don't let them do that to you. Even Paul had to say, no, you're wrong. I am not lying to you. They didn't believe it either. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cecilia. Cilicia, get that right, Rob. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. The redemption in Christ, if we're willing to own the notion that we have been totally and completely redeemed in Christ, takes us to different places, frees us from the baggage, the loads that are placed on us or that we place on ourselves. It fills us with a spirit of truth instead of lies. It allows us to bring glory to God in our lives and carrying the message of the gospel. 
His grace means that your past does not determine your now and certainly doesn't determine your eternity. Don't let it. Even Paul had to argue with people who didn't believe. Maybe the greatest turnaround in human history, right? To go from persecution to preaching and people still didn't believe it. There will be people in your life who do not yet know the Lord that will not believe it. Don't let their expectations drag you away from God's dream for you, from what God has redeemed you of, what God has given you, because he's given it to you so that you can go forth and help others find it too. Okay. I think I'm done. Unless somebody has not yet received God's redeeming grace and they would like to receive it today. Because if you would like to receive it today, we are open and ready. There are people here that will pray with you, that will help you come to know the Lord, that will get you moving on that path that he has created for you, that he is pleased to have you find, that he has made you from birth to find. Today is the day for you to throw away your bags and own the journey that God has you going on, free and redeemed. Yes? Amen Amen and amen. All right. So everybody stand up. As we always do, we are going to close with a time of prayer where we bring forth the prayers of our congregation. Tracy would like to ask you to pray for her. She's joining something called the Epiphany Team at Orient Correctional Institute. Uh, she, would, she is going to go minister with a group of people to minister to those who are locked in prison. She would like you to pray for God's movement in the men and women or the men they will be sharing with. Uh, that they will gain insight and accept his invitation of redeeming grace, right, that we just talked about. She also asks that you ask for, that you help pray for her heart to be prepared for it, for her heart to see where God is working and to know that she is walking as God would have her walk and has the words that God would have her have. She also asks for prayers to slow down her life enough, right? And there are changes coming that I think will help do that. Herb's probably saying amen, right? completely help her be completely present you can also participate in this by praying with her and for her and also filling out there's little pieces of paper out in the narthex we would love to have you write your name and what state you're from just your first name and your state on them they're going to cut them out and put them in chains and give them chains of people that are that are praying with them so they can have this tangible thing they can hold on to so if you have opportunity please do that would also like to pray for, uh, well, actually praise God for Jim and Diane Hickey. They're back from their trip. Somebody has, somebody has said, praise God, they're home safely, right? I'm, I'm happy you're home safely. I'm a little jealous about the trip, but I'm happy you're home safely. Barb Cobbles asked for prayers for Jerry. Um, he's going to see a surgeon this week. Yes? How's he feeling? Pretty good. When I was over there, he was being his cantankerous self, yes? Is, is, did they pull the honey out of his medication? He's not as sweet as he was a week ago? Okay. She'd like to ask for prayers for Bernice, her mom. Her mom is, is, is very, very, very weak. If you have opportunity, please call her. Please visit her. Please go see her. Gary Hudson has asked for prayers for his son-in-law, Jim Bridigan. He's in the ER at OSU. It looks like he had a stroke. Yes? Oh, my goodness. My goodness. 
Marsha Tillman has asked for prayers for Bonnie Staley. She broke her foot in the tomato patch yesterday. I mean, I, I feel horrible for her, but if you know Bonnie, she's just going to roll in here next week on, a, with, on one of those wheelie things, right? Because nothing's going to stop Bonnie. But pray for her, pray for healing. Patty Elliott asked for prayers for her son, Bill. Um, he's waiting for news on his back, right? Okay. Okay. Okay, they're on a cruise right now. Oh. <laughs> well, we're praying for his nerves to grow together. Uh, Keith Reefstall, if you don't know, has spent some time in the hospital this week. He's doing better, uh, but he's still weak. Uh, we would love to just pray for him. Um, the spirit would move in him that his body would heal. He has a doctor's appointment this week. Please pray for that travel. Jessica Fry has asked for prayers for Pastor Reggie's wife, Julie. Uh, she is the primary caregiver for her family, her parents, and they're very, very ill. So she's got that and being a pastor's wife, which is hard. Um, it's a lot to do. And a ministry they're all trying to launch in Dayton. So pray for her. She needs peace. She needs strength in this time. Susan Bechtel has asked for prayers for uh, Lisa Valinga. Uh, she's now having hip pain, the side effects of the chemo she's having right now. So sometimes the chemo is as hard on us as the actual disease. So please pray for her and those who are caring for her. Are there any other prayers we would like to lift up? Yes, the troops. Yep, pray for the troops. All right, we will pray for the troops to need them home, right? Safe and sound. Yes, dear. Okay, okay. Anybody else? Huh? Thelma's here. Yes, praise God. Thelma Miller is here. So happy to see her. Who was raising their hand? Okay, Chris Hurley. Chris Hurley. Joining has asked for prayers for Chris Hurley. It's a friend of hers who's got, looks, sounds like stage one breast cancer. She starts treatment tomorrow. Pray for her to have peace and strength and health. Be pain-free. Any others today? All right, let us, oh, did I miss one? Mark. Jeb Strayer, Jay Strayer's family. Yeah, we can continue to pray for Jay Strayer's family. Um, Tragic loss. Tragic loss. Yes. Uh, this Thursday, I'm going to Ohio State. Okay. Cancer. And because of the scar tissue and all the problems right now, in the last three months, I'm doing great. And there is no cancer. But my doctor in Mobile, Dr. Coney, uh-huh. uh huh. his name is Dr. at Ohio State University uh-huh. uh, Cancer Center. And we're going to discuss, are we going to do any surgery or not? Right now, I'm believing that we're healed. Yes. And if I stay and do what I'm supposed to do. Yes. I don't think, because if we have surgery, there's issues of the... Right, infection and, and scarring and, yeah. Back sure, sure. So pray for me, please, that we'll make good decisions and God's in control. Okay. This Thursday. At this Thursday. We'll at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. This Thursday at 11 o'clock, March calendars and pray for Carol, please. Yep, absolutely. Anything else? 
All right, let us close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for the work you are doing here and in our community around us. I'm thankful for Andrell. He was able to come today and tell, tell us of the wonderful things he's doing in your name he's being led to do. I pray for that to be a success. I pray for it to beat all of his expectations because we know, God, you are greater than any of our expectations. Father God, I pray in light of today's message that we will remember that we are redeemed in you. Those of us who are hurting because of things that we've said or done that are still carrying that baggage around, Lord, I pray that we will be free of those things, that we will lay them aside not letting it define who we are now or who we can become in you, knowing that you have handled it all, knowing that it is finished. You have heard the calls and the prayers of our people today for themselves and for their friends. We are excited to have those who have not been here in a while here today to see their smiling faces and to give them a big hug and remind them that they are loved and we love them very much. Father God, we thank you for your strength. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we pray that you will guide us and bring us back safely. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray, amen.